The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I'm ready. Want to get into the word this morning? It's a uh, it's Father's Day, so I w- was able to take great liberty in selecting my attire this morning. And <clears throat> the only thing, I mean, now this is probably too much information, but I did wrestle with how important are pants actually. And it turns out I think they are important. And so I decided that it might go too far if I decided, hey, it's Father's Day, so why wear pants? And and I think pants are an important thing. There's a few things that caught on, you know, and, and I, think, uh, I think clothing is one of them. You ever notice that? Like Adam and Eve are in the garden and they're naked, right? And then they get clothed and, and then you have Jesus and redemption and there's no more curse and sin and all of those things are lifted all because of Jesus. But then clothing kind of stuck. They didn't decide like, hey, now it's time to lose the pants, right? And instead, like Jesus is handing out robes. Like, Here's your robe. We decided this was a good thing, so... Here you go. Uh, so, yeah, so, you know, pants are a good thing. But, you know, the, the shirt, a little bit of, hey, it's Father's Day, so I'm going to relax. And uh, I think that goes a, a long way. So I want to get into the Word this morning. As we get into the Word, I want to identify something that is going to apply to every person. I, I'm not a real big fan of, of holidays and, 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 you know, kind of unique days in the calendar that require us to to bend and bow down to them. I I really prefer getting into the Word for the sake of getting into the Word. Uh, It is hard, though, to not acknowledge Father's Day because of God's role in our lives as our Father, our Heavenly Father. So as we get into the Word this morning, it's going to be a a very fitting Father's Day-ish message, but I really want to take a look at it as something that applies to every person. the men's meeting yesterday, I cracked a couple of jokes, and they're not really jokes, they're more statements, you know, like, I've been in Christian ministry for a while now, I mean, really my entire adult life, and have pastored for really a couple of decades, it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but, you know, the time passes by, and I've noticed something, Mother's Day comes along, and the message is, oh, they're, they're so honoring, and, and you hand out flowers and things like that. And then Father's Day comes along, and you just rip dads up and down. You know, and I've seen that. I've been there and done that. And, and I, I want to make sure that as we look at today's message, it's not a Father's Day message as much as it's a message that applies to every single person as we have God as our Heavenly Father. So as we get into the Word, if we stay committed to that, I think we're going to walk away uh, edified, that we're going to grow, that we're going to mature together in our relationship with God. And I think we're going to see some things that God's doing in the life of every single person. Now for you dads in here, you're going to see something that you have a calling and an anointing to do as a father. Uh, that's a really important thing to acknowledge as well. So. Uh, hopefully the message this morning just meets every single need that we have as we come together. God's really good at doing that, and I'm trusting and believing this morning will be no different. So here's a few things we're going to find. If you want to take some notes, I encourage that. Writing a few things down is always helpful. God's always speaking to us together when we come and, and, and unite together and individually. And when we revisit uh, these notes in our own time, 
God's always faithful to speak to us. So so here's a few things that you're going to find. One, you're going to find what every person is. What every single person is. So if you're in the room and you're a person, you're going to be one of these. What every single person is. When you deal with people, if that people is a person, I know that's not good English, but that person is one of these. And for me, that's everybody. It's, it's not, uh, uh, you know, uh, dependent on whether I like them or not. Every person is something very specific in the word. Uh, yesterday, I, I made a decision in traffic that obviously upset someone. They managed to roll down their window, and it was the longest bird I've ever received in my life. It was like a quarter mile of it. I mean, he just held his arm out the window and flashed me this gesture and just held it. Like, I wonder if his arm cramped up or something. I was kind of concerned medically for the guy, just thinking, like, is that, do you have a problem there? Did your window break? Is, you know, did something go wrong? But apparently he wanted to communicate something. Well, that person is a person, and therefore they are one of these things. And, and I have to remember that and keep that in mind. So we're going to find out that. We'll find that out very quickly as we get into the Word. Another thing we're going to find is, is how we know that God loves us. Now, when we grow up, we, we hear cadence and song, you know, I mean, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So that's kind of what we're told. Well, the Bible says so, so that's, what, that's how we know. Uh, there's, there's evidence in and through your life that God loves you. We'll see what that evidence is as it's identified in the Scripture. You'll be able to examine your own life, and you'll, you'll probably see plenty of it. A third thing that we're going to find is... What God does when we do things his way, when we do things his way, he does something for us on our behalf, and it's really effective and very powerful. So we're going to jump right into the word. I told you we're going to find what every person is. We'll find that here. Uh, If you have your Bibles, we'll go to the book of Psalms. We'll look at Psalm 127. I want to look at verses 3 through 5. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. So if you, if you go to the book of Psalms, you get to 127, you start in verse 3, it's going to read like this. Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Uh, they will not be ashamed when they speak uh, with their enemies at the gate. Well, so we don't really talk that way very much anymore. I mean, that's kind of a a poetic and and dated statement there. However, the principles that are are established early on in this passage of Scripture are really powerful to consider. I mean, I mentioned we're going to find what every person is. Well, based on this passage of Scripture, if that person was born, if they were ever once a child, that means they're a gift from God. Uh, Mr. My arm cramped up and I gave you the bird for a quarter mile is a gift from God. I have to remember that. I have to remind myself of that because I, I actually wanted to, you know, help him with his arm. You know, I mean, I, I wanted to follow him and say, hey, buddy, do you have something you want to say? It was just really offensive. It was really disappointing and frustrating. But I have to remember this guy, like every single person, is a gift from God. Even if it doesn't feel like it, even if I don't want to admit it or confess it, Every person in this room, if you were born, you are a gift from God. It sounds so 
goofy to say it. It almost feels overly simple, but I want to offer this to you. If every single person in this room simply caught that truth and applied it to their life in full measure, you wouldn't have any issues. There'd be no self-doubt. There'd be no worth issues. If we could simply realize I'm a gift from God, why should I be afraid? I'm a gift from God. Now, we twist this sometimes, and we begin to use it as, you know, hey, that person thinks they're, they're God's gift to the world. But I really want it to, to emphasize the fact that that person is a gift from God. And it would do us well to consider that. I think it would be helpful for me when I engage every single person in every situation to first and foremost filter everything that I'm going to say, that I want to say, that I do say through the truth that this person is a gift from God. I work with some real knuckleheads. They make some of the worst decisions you could ever imagine making. I mean, honestly, there are times I wonder, like, did you think about this and decide what's the worst possible way I could handle this and then do it that way? You know, but you'll look at, at their situation and if you can realize that this person is a gift from God, and then you can even go further than that and say, and God has them in my life for a reason, it'll affect the way you respond. And we're called to respond rather than react. But realizing that every single person is a gift. And as I look at this passage of scripture, I see something that I think is, is just really interesting. That as God's gift, these children are coming into the world, they're compared to, to arrows. I mean, it, it's a strange thing. It goes on in, in other passages of scripture to, to carry the same comparison. I'll give you an example. If you have your Bibles, go to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah 49, Jesus is being described. Jesus is being identified. Now, Jesus is a gift from God. There's no doubt about that. He's born into the world. And as he's born into the world, this description is being given of his life. Isaiah 49, verses 1 and 2. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named me. He's made my mouth like a sharp sword. And in the shadow of his hand, he's concealed me. He has made me to be a select arrow, and he's hidden me in his quiver. I mean, you see children compared to arrows. It makes me want to think about arrows. Now, I, I'm, I haven't really done a whole lot of archery. I don't shoot bow and arrow or anything like that. But as I consider arrows, I, I do consider a couple of things. When I was young, I remember being in, in Cub Scouts and doing some things, and, and I made a, a project once for a badge, and in that, that project, I'd made a, a bow and arrow, and it, it took some time to construct it and put it together, and I remember my parents being really kind of disturbed because it, it, it really it turned out pretty awesome. And the idea of arming their little kid was really not something they were thrilled about. But, I mean, I could send that thing half a block, you know, take it out in the front yard, tilt it up in the sky, pull it back, and let her rip, and you're probably going to get a call from a neighbor, you know. But when we were putting that thing together, you had the bow, and the bow does all of the work, and then you had the arrow. And the, the arrow, though it's not doing all of the work, you put a lot of work into your arrows, when I consider that God is saying, like, kids are, are like arrows, I, I look at that and I just think, you know, an arrow's work is done in an instant. The release of a string, it's gone. 
But yet all of the time and effort and care and consideration that go into that arrow before it goes to work and its work is done in an instant is hours and hours and hours. I mean, the selection to find the right materials, then the effort to work those materials and bring them to a point of perfection where they will be maximized in their effect. It's a very intentional effort. When you consider the effort that goes into the construction of that arrow, the time spent in preparation far exceeds the time spent in, in execution or use. And when I consider that children are, are, are identified as arrows in the hands of someone who's skilled with them, I see that children are meant to be given time. And as I look at my own life, raising my sons, I can see that, that time is the one thing that's constantly under attack. Can I provide that? Can I give them that preparation and, and, and equip them so that when their lives are faced with those single moments where decisions and choices are being made, they'll be effective? Now, when I was constructing those arrows for my project, I became acquainted and aware with the things that mattered, the things that were important to pursue. One of the things that I just thought was really incredible was it was, it was important that the arrow be straight. I mean, if the arrow was crooked, it wouldn't fly straight. So you could do all of the work of a, a, a solid archer, and you could, you could have you know, everything on target, but as soon as you released, because the arrow was crooked, it wouldn't hit where it was intended to hit. It would veer in a direction. It would veer to the right, or it would veer to the left. It would veer toward the ground, or it would fly up and shoot up straight in the air. I mean, depending on whether or not the arrow was, was straight. And when I see this and I consider this, I, I feel like there's a lot of things that God's doing in my life and in the lives of, of the people around me, because he's our heavenly father, to straighten things out. So if I came to a point where I had an arrow, and the arrow was, was, was crooked, I would have a couple of options. I mean, I could, could dispose of it and just say, you know, this one's shot, it's no good, and, and I'll, I'll have to move on. I could cut the crooked part out, or I could try to, to straighten it out. So... When I look at those options, well, disposing of it is, is really a bad choice. I mean, it's very wasteful, and, and I don't think that, that that's a good option. I don't know that cutting out the crooked area is a very good option because the shorter that arrow gets, the, the, the less you can draw it, and the, the, the shorter flight it'll have. It'll become very ineffective. But if you can straighten it out, you can, can be free from being wasteful. You can still have a, a, a situation where the, it can be drawn back to full length and released with full power. It can be maxim, maximized in its effectiveness, and it can, can fly true to its target, its, its intended purpose. And I look at this and I think, this is really interesting. This is what God's doing in my life. Now, you can see parentally where different uh, areas are celebrated. I mean, I have worked with men that had a very different upbringing than me. I, I had a, 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 a good uh, set of parents, my mother and father, they're, they're married to this day, they're, they're, they're present and, and active, uh, sometimes maybe too present and too active, but they're, they're present and they're active. I've been around men that had uh, no father figure, and so they would fall in that category of, of there's rejection, you know. There was just no, no one there. They were cast aside, and, and it affected their ability to be effective. 
Then I've worked around guys who had uh, father figures or, or, or parental figures that weren't interested in the effort and the time to straighten things out, so they would, would, would cut things out. And through a, a series of, of uh, uh, scenarios where parents were aggressive or even abusive, the, the things that were, were crooked in their life were, were just removed altogether, not straightened out, but cut out. And I've tried to adopt that in my thinking, you know. I mean, even in my vocabulary and my own sons, I'll try to avoid a mentality that's, hey, cut it out. And I'll, I'll try to, to step into a mentality that's more, hey, straighten up. <laughs> because if we cut things out that are meant to be straightened up, we're going to be left short. We'll be left without the, the, the power and the ability to actually achieve those things that we've been called to achieve. But if we can straighten out those crooked areas, we'll have all that we need to make the distance, go the distance, to hit the target true, and we'll become more effective. Now, this is what I see God doing in me. There's many aspects of my life that God is redeeming. Now, he's my heavenly father. I am a, a select arrow that he has ordained for a purpose. And throughout my life, rather than being abusive and, and rather than being rejecting, he has embraced me. He's committed to never leave or forsake. And rather than cut me down and beat me down until I'm left powerless, he's committed to straightening out everything that's crooked. Bringing the, the consistency and the stability, the right amount of pressure at the right point to straighten out the things that are destructive to me, fulfilling my purpose. He's at constant work bringing me to a point of being effective and able to meet my purpose in life. And he's doing this through something that we see in the scripture, not only something that he's doing on our behalf, but something that he's equipping us then to go and therefore do. Remember, Jesus said, just as it was freely given, go and freely give. We'll see that this work that God's doing in us is meant to be something that we go on and help provide for others. Let me give you a passage of scripture from 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to begin reading around verse 18. Now, verse 17 is a passage you may be familiar with. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. New things come. Now you get to verse 18, and, and you find out these things are from God, these new things, these new things that come. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. Now, these new things that come are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. As he committed to us the word of reconciliation, therefore now we are ambassadors for Christ Jesus. I mean, there's really not a part of that that we couldn't just sit and discuss in depth and, and spend all of our time this morning in any single section of that. The idea that you're an ambassador for Christ Jesus, what it means to be an ambassador, that you are a representative of the kingdom of God, that, that your words and your actions are representing uh, his throne. You could get into the depth of what that would mean, that, that the rights of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven apply to your life and, and cover your living. But I want us to focus specifically on that ministry that God is, is doing in our life and then that he's equipped us with, and that's that ministry of reconciliation. The word here says that God reconciled you to himself through Jesus and then gave you the ministry of reconciliation. 
I mean, reconciliation is kind of a, a funny word. When I consider the word, I, I, I think about how many times I've, I've thought about that word, and oftentimes it's a word used mostly in, in a relational context when there's been a breach in relationship or fellowship. You know, you have a fight, there's a disagreement, there's kind of a parting of ways, but then you find a way to make things right and you reconcile. Uh, you'll see it a lot in marriage and family. In fact, uh, the number one uh, cause for divorce when they're checking off boxes is irreconcilable differences, meaning we couldn't work this out. But God has, through Jesus, worked out everything necessary to bring us back into his household, called by his name, his kingdom, and he's done it all through Christ Jesus. And then it says he gave us that ministry of reconciliation, that he's gifted you, he's anointed you, he's equipped you to now go and make things that are wrong right. Now, when I look at what he's doing in my life, you know, straightening things out, bringing things to the way they need to be, I see this as something that not only is he doing to me, but he's equipping me so that he can do these things through me. So reconcile, I want to give you a kind of a a definition. If you were to turn to the dictionary, you would find this, the restoration of friendly relations or action making compatible or to make compatible. Well, that sounds great, but I want to offer this to you. If you look at the words origins or what makes up the word. Uh, The the word that we use for that is etymology, like the the way the word is formed. You'll find that it's of two parts. Uh, The first part being re, right? Like if you were to uh, uh, reconcile, first two letters are re, meaning again. Uh, the, uh, The second part of it is to make friendly or to make consistent. So this is really where things begin to make more sense in my mind, and I hope that it translates to you. I mean, if I take that, the form of that word and I begin to examine that, I, I can see clearer in the scripture, or more clearly, I should say, what God's doing when he's bringing reconciliation into my life. He's bringing consistency back into my life. I mean, what caused me to, to change in the first place but inconsistency? Whether it's in the very beginning with Adam and Eve, they have this great relationship with God, things are great, then the devil introduces through temptation and sin, inconsistency. We used to make all of our choices this way, now because of temptation, we got inconsistent and it changed everything. Now reconciliation to make consistent again is a ministry that God's bringing into my life and he's releasing through my life. The men that I work with, the people that I'm around, the the congregation that that we all serve together, these are all people that are, are in desperate need of the ministry of reconciliation to see consistency introduced into their life. And by the way, consistency is embodied in Jesus Christ. I mean, Christianity is the most consistent faith you can possibly examine of all of those that would be presented. Christianity is unwavering in its consistency. When you look at the work of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, it would make sense that the ministry would be defined as the ministry of reconciliation or the bringing back of consistency. I mean, consider when Jesus is presented to the world. 
that he would be born into the world, that his ministry would years later be launched, and that there would be a forerunner sent to make an announcement, almost like someone would want to create a, a need in a market by releasing advertisements before the product is released. You have John the Baptist released into the world, and he's told to make this de declaration, to, to make all of the, the high places low and all of the low places high, to, to bring consistency into the world, that the, the way of the Lord is to be made straight. It actually reads like this, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight, let every ravine be filled, every mountain and hill be brought low, the crooked, let it be straight, and the rough be smooth. I mean, that whole declaration is about the, the, the consistency that is coming as Jesus enters into the world, as Jesus enters into your life, into my life. I can tell you in my own testimony, that is what Jesus brings into my existence. Consistency. No more good days, bad days, good days, bad days, good choices, bad choices, good choices, bad choices. But I have Jesus now to lean upon. My faith in his perfection, in his effort, in his uh, per perfect fulfillment of all of God's commandments, living and active in and through my life. The scripture goes on to not limit it to, to a, a spiritual experience, but even to enter into my physical being, my, my mental stability, that I would have the mind of Christ. Consistency. And this makes us different from the rest of the world. I want to offer this to you from Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. Philippians 2.15, it's a declaration to, to stand out from the rest of the world. It says, prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Among here you appear as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. A powerful passage of scripture, but I want to emphasize something, that when the word of God is contrasting Christians with the rest of the world, it's identifying the rest of the world as crooked. So what would that then make Christians? Not crooked. Consistent. That, that this reconciliation, this making it consistent, the life of the believer is to straighten out everything that is crooked, just like God would work out every bend in every single one of those arrows so that it would fly straight and hit its mark. God is at work in you, straightening out everything that is crooked so that we can fulfill his calling on our life, walk in our purpose, and execute what he's called us to carry out through our living. I want to give you a, a passage of scripture here. These are our passages of scripture that I, I threw in the notes here to show the importance of this ministry of reconciliation. This introduction of consistency, getting the crooked things made straight, having them adjusted in, in a very righteous and appropriate way so that they're no longer crooked. Proverbs 28, 18. The one that walks uh, blameless will be delivered but the one that walks crooked will fall all at once. Uh, this isn't a, a threat or, or anything along those lines. Rather, it is a word of wisdom, talking about the, 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 the results of a crooked mentality, a crooked lifestyle. When things are not straightened, when they are not upright, 
there's too uh, much at risk. There, there's opportunity for compromise at every corner. And no matter what you're aiming at, you could aim true at the target, you won't hit your mark. Remember the archery example. The archer could be aiming at the bullseye, but if the arrow's crooked, it will deviate from its intended mark. God's at work straightening us out so that we will hit where we are sent and we will be effective. He's faithful to see these things through, and his work in me and in you will be effective. Now, here's how he does these things. Now, this can be presented as, as an opinion, but it's, a, it's an opinion that is based on Scripture. So I want to offer it to you, and, and there's nobody that is uh, exempt from this. In fact, uh, Jesus Christ is the example of this. So you're, you're going to see that this applies to every single child of God. I mentioned to you before you're going to find out how you know God loves you. How do you know that God loves you? We'll find out in this next passage of Scripture. I'll give it to you out of Proverbs. It, it's quoted again in the book of Hebrews, but Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Now, these are the words of a loving father to a son. And this father is instructing this son about his relationship with God. So the passage reads like this, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord, and do not loathe his correction. For the one that the Lord loves, he disciplines, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. How do I know God loves me? Because he disciplines me. He disciplines me. Now, this is an interesting thing to consider because depending on our upbringing or our vocabulary, this can be a, a real fork in the road. And depending on whether we turn one direction or another, it could affect our ability to rightly understand what this actually means. One of the things that I think is absolutely necessary to understand is what discipline is. Well, let me tell you what discipline is not. Discipline is not punishment. Let me give you definitions. If you were to look up the word punish, you would find the definition as follows. To punish, to inflict a penalty in retribution, that's like payback or vengeance, or retaliation, that's you hurt me, I'm hurting you back. Punish. So discipline, if you look up the word discipline now, you're going to have a, a whole different definition. Uh, pay attention to this and, and tell me if this uh, sounds a little more like God's relationship to your life as he molds and shapes your life so that we can be successful. Discipline, training, well, that's, that's a pretty powerful word, training that corrects, molds, perfects the mental faculties and moral character. Now that sounds like my relationship with God, that he would train me. One, that he would send Jesus to be a teacher, that he'd send the Holy Ghost to be a helper. Uh, two, that he would mold me. Well, the word says that he is the potter and I am the clay, that he literally is shaping and, and molding my life into the, the, the shape that it needs to be in order to be effective as he's called me to be. That perfecting, I mean, he has promised and guaranteed to continue to perfect me up until the very end. The one that began a good work in you will continue to perfect that work until the day of the Lord. These are the promises that we have. I see clearly my relationship with my Heavenly Father is one that is filled with and based upon His love, His love that brings about discipline into my life. 
disciplined to work out every crooked area to make it straight, to reconcile or to bring consistency back into my thinking, into my heart, and to be released through my actions and my words. He's making me just like him. He's doing the same for every one of his children. I'll give you a passage of scripture here because it just stood out to me as kind of funny. You ever read something in the Bible and then laughed? Like just kind of chuckled? Well, I had that moment here because it's a word that you really don't see much in the scripture. I mean, it's a word that I would correct my children for using. It's not a curse word or anything, but it's just not a very positive word. Uh, Catch this from the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates discipline is stupid. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why that, that makes me chuckle, but it's just pretty blunt, right? It's kind of like getting hit in the head with a two-by-four. It's kind of hard to miss. I mean, to reject discipline, the Bible calls that stupidity. Now, the Word also tells us that nobody enjoys discipline while it's happening. I mean, it's not like, hey, all right, discipline. But for us, we need to understand the end game, that the result is our benefit, that the result is something great in our life, that God truly is working out all of the crooked things that will keep us from our purpose, that will keep us from hitting our mark. But as a loving, heavenly Father, He is straightening out those things through discipline so that our lives will be 100% totally successful. Here's another passage from Proverbs that I just chuckled because I thought, wow, that is extreme. Proverbs 13, 18, poverty and shame will come to the one that neglects discipline. But he who regards discipline will be honored. I mean, isn't that wild how extreme that is? Poverty and shame. Don't sign me up for that. But honor, yeah, yes, please. When we understand the difference between discipline and punishment, it's helpful for us to see that this is how God is revealing and manifesting his love in our lives. That he is not uh, vindictive and he's not insecure and his feelings are hurt and now he's going to inflict pain in uh, some kind of a, a reaction to our failure or our flaw, but rather he's very intentional and he's applying everything that's necessary in the right way so that we can be successful so that we can be relieved of that which is going to hinder our success and that we can have that consistency that's needed reinstated so that we can fulfill our calling and our purpose. I'll give you a passage of scripture for your notes. I want to read it to you from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. Hebrews 12, verse 11. It makes a statement that I think we would all agree with. All discipline in the moment... Uh, seems to be undesirable. It's not joyful, but sometimes even sorrowful. Yet to those that have been trained by it, afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, this is a passage of Scripture that's worth pondering in your own time. First of all, to to come to the realization that that you're not a freak if you don't like the process, right? Because this is making it very clear, hey, listen, it's okay to not enjoy the process. Because when you think you're right and all of a sudden you find out you're wrong, nobody gets a kick out of that. But as God is bringing correction and consistency into your life, understand that once you have been trained by it, and my brain hits a brick wall right there, I realize that the whole purpose of discipline is to train me. 
to teach me, to lead me, to guide me. And these are the things that I know God is, is 100% got my best interest in mind in everything that he brings into my life through teaching, through training, through discipleship in any way, shape, or form. It is for my edification. It is for my good. And once I have been trained by it, the result is the producing or the yielding of the peaceful fruit of righteousness, which means the more that his correction or his consistency is brought into my life, the more my actions, my words are going to produce two things, things that are peaceful and things that are righteous. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. No matter who we deal with, no matter what we deal with, the training, the equipping, the, the consistency that enters into our lives through Jesus is going to result in a very fruitful and effective uh, end, and that end being righteous works that are peaceful in their, their delivery. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here because we're coming to a close. I'll give it to you from Proverbs. I mentioned to you that we were going to find what happens when we do things God's way. I want to give you this passage of Scripture from Proverbs chapter 3. It begins in verse 5. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. It reads like this. It's a call to trust God. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and, and don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your ways straight. I mean, what an interesting way to, to say that. I mean, it could have said anything. It could have just said, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and all of your ways, acknowledge him, and, and, and he will make you win, or he will make you successful, or, or he will make you liked by those around you, or he will make you effective. I mean, you could have filled in that blank with a number of different descriptive things, but yet all of those wonderful descriptive things are embodied and encompassed in what God has spoken there and that he will make your ways straight. And when your ways are straight, when they're not crooked, when he aims at the bullseye and he releases that arrow that is your life, that gift that he has made, his child released into their purpose, released into their destiny, his aim is true. And when that arrow has been straightened by his love, his discipline, it will hit the mark. It will not deviate when he lets it loose and it flies. Doing things his way rather than our way, will result in our ways being straight. He's working out all of the crooked things that exist in this world so that we can walk in our destiny. I mentioned to you before that declaration of Jesus entering into the world, his ministry being kicked off, and that announcement that was being made. I want to read that one time here as we close, and we'll be closing with this. If you want it for your notes, you can pull uh, from several places, but, but specifically Luke chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. So as John the Baptist is announcing the coming of Jesus, he identifies his role. His role is to make this announcement and this declaration. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every ravine be filled. Every mountain and hill be brought low. The crooked will become straight. The rough will become smooth. And then listen to this line. And all flesh will see the salvation of God. I want to offer this to you. And, and it, it, it does 
fall in the category of slightly reading between the lines. But I, I think that's something that when we're led by the Holy Spirit is really what opens the door for some really incredibly powerful and effective revelation. I claim that passage of Scripture for my life. I do, I just, I claim it. I, I read that passage of Scripture and I think, God, you sent Jesus into my life. And you sent Jesus into my life for this reason. That, that every high place, every point of pride would be brought low. That, that every low place, every point of inferiority and, and shame would be raised up. That everything inconsistent in me would be consistent. That everything rough could be smooth. You've brought Jesus in my life for the fulfillment of that reconciliation, that bringing back to consistency so that I can be and will be stable. I receive that. And as I receive that, I know that all flesh, everyone around me will see you. All flesh will see the salvation of our God. That as the consistency of reconciliation is lived out through my words, through my actions, through my ability to see every single person as a gift from God, and my mind and my heart and my words and my actions to all come into alignment and agreement with the straight way that is the Lord's way, people will see Jesus. And that's what I want. When they see my life, I want them to see Jesus. When they see your lives, I want them to see Jesus. And that is that ministry of reconciliation, not only being known about or celebrated in a sermon, but being lived out through your words and through your actions. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. What a thing to celebrate that we have a loving Heavenly Father that will bring all of the correction necessary to train us, to teach us, to lead us, to guide us in the way that we should go. It's a powerful thing to consider the cross. The cross is where punishment is fulfilled. All of the wrath of God, all of God's punishment taken by Jesus, everything that we deserved, all of, of God's wrath, all of his his. Uh, 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 a vindication of all sin and all corruption was carried out once for all. That Jesus would, would remove out of our pathway the punishment that would have been stored up for us is to open up the door for the discipline that we need. To no longer confuse punishment and discipline, but to see them separated, to put punishment in its rightful place, something that Jesus took out of the way by offering himself in our place, to now see clearly discipline, that God loves us and his love is manifest through training us and teaching us, adjusting our direction when we're off course, taking all of those crooked areas in the arrow that he has ordained and through discipline, lovingly and patiently straightening them out in a process that may take time. But so that my purpose, that bullseye that is down there, when I'm released to let fly, I won't deviate from the mark. But I'll hit right where I'm called to hit. My purpose and my calling lived out. It's a great thing to consider that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us and who's committed to our success. And oftentimes our own awareness of our earthly fathers can 
either help us to see that clearer or they can be a hindrance to our understanding of that. But no matter what, God is present revealing his love to each one of us in such a way that we can come to a place of trusting and knowing that he loves us unconditionally, that we can lean on him, that we can trust in him, that we can acknowledge him and that he will make our ways straight. I want to pray this morning. I want to give thanks to God for his love and his affection. And I want to ask God to do a work in our hearts and in our minds by his spirit that would lead us to understand his love and his affection for us as a father. And that we might embrace, just like the word would call us to, his loving discipline that leads us to success. There where you stand, you're welcome to simply be in agreement or in a state of receiving, but I want to pray together. Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for your love and your affection for us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your commitment to our success in every aspect of our living. We thank you for Jesus, that you would take out of the way the punishment that we would not be able to endure and that you would open up the door for the discipline that we so desperately need. We thank you for the ministry of reconciliation. Let it have its way in us and let it have its way through us that not only would we receive this ministry on our behalf for our well-being, but that we would become a catalyst for that ministry that this world is in such desperate need of. Let us be reintroduced to the consistency that we would have in fellowship with you through Jesus. That there would be no pride that would keep us uh, from making the choices and decisions that would bring you honor and glory, that there would be no inferior thinking that would hold us back from the powerful calling and purpose that you have for us. But let stability and consistency prevail as Jesus is exalted in our hearts and in our minds. Let us acknowledge you in everything we do and let your discipline, your love manifest in and through our lives as your word promises, make our paths straight. We give you thanks, Father, for the work that you're doing on our behalf. We embrace your discipline, your correction, your teaching. Let it have its effect in us, that we would truly be molded by you, raised up in the way that we should go, and that we would have every crooked way lovingly straightened out in our lives, that we might remain the powerful force that you've called us to be, and that we might be true to your aim, hitting our purpose, our calling, your will for our lives without any deviation. We bless your name and we give you thanks for your love and your affection. We acknowledge you as our loving Heavenly Father, and we celebrate that you would receive us as your children. We give you thanks and rejoice in you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declare, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.